Well, we're going to read the Bible together just now. We're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel, the very end of Matthew's Gospel. We have worked our way through all of Matthew's Gospel, and we've come to the last section. So it's page 1001, if you've got a pew Bible. Page 1001, this very well-known passage, just a few verses, which we know as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, from verse 16 to 20, page 1001 of the Pew Bibles. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is God's Word. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. We pray that God will bless His Word to us. Our Bibles together and turn to Matthew 28, those verses that we read earlier. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, page 1001. Just as you're looking it up, should have said earlier on, uh, we will be having membership classes at some stage uh, starting soon, I think around Sunday, is it Sunday the uh, 17th or 18th of February? And uh, if you're interested in finding out what uh, belonging to the church means, you've been coming here for a while, uh, speak to me about that. We'll usually do that before morning service around uh, half past ten for a number of weeks. So that's starting later in the month. Matthew 28. I I'm sure you uh, know somebody who is just a great joke teller. You, you, we all have people like that that we think, oh, they can just tell jokes so well. I've been given the opposite joke, uh, gift of, there you go, uh, the opposite <laughs> gift of being able to ruin jokes. Um, I, I, usually I start off, you know, recounting some story, building up to the punchline, and, and what happens inside my head is I've got this mental picture of my brain sort of flicking over a notebook and turning over a page, and there's nothing there. And so I, I turned to Katrina and said, how does that end again? And the whole impact has completely uh, gone. We, we know that in a, in a joke, the punchline is all important. We know that in a story, the conclusion is all important. It draws together all the threads. It, it sort of maybe whets your appetite for what's coming next. It, it really ties everything together. And here we are at the end of Matthew's Gospel and in some way, we're sort of looking at the punchline. We're looking at the conclusion of the story, certainly. The, the so what of everything that Matthew has been telling us about. Matthew makes clear to us what the responsibilities of disciples are in the light of everything that he has told us about discipleship so far. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. We're told that uh, it's Galilee that they're meeting in. And they're on a mountain. Uh, Jesus had told them uh, to go there. They're on a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, the, the fact that there's 11 here is important. It reminds us that Judas is out. Judas has betrayed Jesus. He has stepped outside of the disciple band. But it also reminds us that Peter is in. 
Peter had denied Jesus, but he had come to Christ in repentance, and his denial had not ended his journey with Jesus at all because he had confessed his sin and shown true repentance. The question is not what we do with our sin. The question is not that we sin. It's what we do with our sin. Do we bring it to Jesus? Do we use it to continue to run from Him? And they're on a mountain. Uh, mountains are, are, are important in the story that Matthew has been telling us. Early on in the gospel, we have uh, seen that, that Jesus had taught from a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. There, He outlines the standards of discipleship. He, he describes what a true disciple looks like. He's the one, of course, who has lived that out perfectly. But he also calls his disciples to be different than the world around him, them, and to follow Jesus in that sort of way. So we see the character of the disciple revealed on a mountaintop. Then, then we see the Mount of Transfiguration in the middle of Matthew's gospel, and we find out who Jesus is. We see him revealed as not only this amazing man and teacher, but also as the Son of God, his glory revealed for a moment or two the affirmation of the Father, the presence of the, the Spirit in the cloud around them, uh, this incredible picture of, of who Jesus is. So, so the, the, the character of the disciple is revealed on the mountain. The, the nature of Jesus whom we serve is revealed on the mountain. And now the responsibilities of disciples are revealed on a mountain as the gospel finishes. We're going to look this morning and understand hopefully a little bit more of, of the challenge that is given to these disciples. He's not only speaking to them, of course. They are there to represent the church and there to represent uh, every believer in a sense. This is the task that comes to us just as much as taking up our cross, just as much as loving our neighbor. It is the, cha the, the challenge of discipleship. So, so, Three, three simple things to say this morning. We're called to disciple the nations. We're just going to sort of step through some of the things that Jesus says here. We're called to disciple the nations. In this, the church is central, and in this, the Lord is with us. We're called to disciple the nations. Jesus gathers his disciples and says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, for those of you who understand grammar, verse 19, that first part only contains one verb, make disciples. And it has three participles. So, so the verb is, is make disciples. So it could be translated as something like this, going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So the real focus is on making disciples. The point is that we're not after decisions or converts or nominal responses. Those things all imply some way in which someone can say yes to Jesus, but actually very little changes. You know the story of the man that Spurgeon met who was obviously living a life far away from God. He was very drunk at the time that Spurgeon came across him. And he said, hey, Mr. Spurgeon, do you remember me? And Spurgeon said, no, I, I don't think I do. Uh, should I? And he says, well, I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon said, well, you must be one of mine because you're not one of God's. Uh, I hope he said some other stuff as well, but, but that, that, was, that was his opening line. Uh, <clears throat> now, you see, when, when, when God really gets hold of us, 
things change. Jesus takes us as we are. Oh, how we, how we rejoice in that. You know, if, if, if you're here today and you're thinking, I'm, I'm getting interested in Christianity, I feel as if... Feels that God is speaking to me, but you know, I really need to clean up my act. That's, that, that's, a, that's a really common reaction as God starts to, to work in our hearts. We, we start to think, I, I need to, to do something here. I, I need to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to try harder. That, that was part of my story. I, I, if you start to think that, that, that I've got to do something, you, you've got to really know that, that Jesus takes you as you are. But what we must know also is that He won't leave us as we are. He won't leave us as we are. When He gets a hold of us, things begin to change. And, and, and that's true, therefore, for disciples. He makes us His disciples, and, and the process of change begins, you see. And part of what the responsibility of these disciples is to make other disciples. Well, we've got to know what a disciple is, isn't it? Don't we? If, if we're going to make one, if we're going to be one, what are disciples? Lots of attempts to define discipleship. John Stott points out that the, the word reminds us particularly of that relationship between a master and a student. So, it, it means being under discipline, under the discipline of a master, where the, where the disciple, the follower, is shaped by the master. Our own church a number of years ago, denomination a number of years ago, spoke very helpfully of a disciple being someone who was seeking to follow Jesus in every day, in every way, all of life under his direction. What does Jesus himself say? I came across someone who had looked across the, the, the four gospels at some of the things that Jesus had said were standards for his disciples. It's a, a remarkable list whenever you put it together. Listen, listen to this. A disciple is willing to deny himself or herself, take up their cross daily and follow him. A disciple uh, puts Christ before self, family, and possessions. A disciple is committed to Christ's teaching. A disciple is committed to world evangelization. A disciple loves others as Christ loves. A disciple abides in Christ, is obedient, bears fruit, glorifies God, has joy, and loves their brothers and sisters. That's just pulling together some of the words of Jesus about what a disciple is. Now, we could go on and unpack various descriptions of discipleship, but I think we can see it's this whole of life where in every way and in every day we're going Jesus' ways. Jesus calls us to be that ourselves if we're to follow Him, but then also to make people like that, if you like. Jesus had spent three years with these men that's what they were doing. Come and follow me. The process of discipleship begins. The demands of discipleship are made clear. And now he's saying to them, now you go and make more. Disciples are to reproduce disciples. We are to be disciples who make disciples. It's really clear, isn't it? Make disciples. What about the go bit in your going? It comes right at the start of the command. And because of that, sometimes it has been understood as being the biggest emphasis. So, so the whole thrust of the, 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 the challenge has been you've got to go somewhere. You've got to really ask, should I stay? Because the, the burden is on the going. Well, that, that, that's a, an important emphasis sometimes to make, but it's probably not really the emphasis of the text here. The, the, the 
way it should be translated is, as you go, in your going. In other words, wherever you go, wherever you go this week, in your going, you're about the business of making disciples. So, this discipling mindset is not just something that's to be in our heads for a few hours whenever we're involved in church work, whether on a Sunday or in an organization through the week. It is to be in our minds and on our hearts at every point of every day in your going. Now, there's no doubt that there's a, a going somewhere else for some of these people. Jesus understands that whenever He calls them to disciple the nations. This is not a, a commission with only a local focus. It has a worldwide focus, really revolutionary, of course, for years, uh, for centuries. In fact, the, the focus of God's saving work was with the Jews, with the Jewish people. Not solely, but, but largely. Jesus came. He came to be with the, the lost sheep of Israel, as He said. But now the, the focus is changing, isn't it? The disciples are to have in mind all the nations, all of the world. There's a hint of that here, actually, because the emphasis is to go to meet Jesus in Galilee. Galilee was an interface area. It was called Galilee of the Gentiles. How appropriate that in this interface area where all the worlds met, as it were, Jesus would raise the gaze of the disciples and say, it's for all the world, this task. And that's how they understand the Great Commission. They, they go across the known world in order to make disciples. So if we might sum up this go command, it is wherever you go, make disciples, and your remit extends to the ends of the earth. Now, that is our remit also. Part of being a disciple is that commitment to the gospel reaching the ends of the earth. We play our part in that task, which may mean for some of us, we go from here to be somewhere else so that the gospel would be known in another place. It's not in my notes, but surely we are responsible for the fact that in Western Europe, we are one of the places where the church is most strong and one of the least evangelized English-speaking lands is an hour's car journey away. Might some of us go to the place where the gospel is less known? But for everyone, it means playing our part in making disciples and being the witnesses that He calls us to be. Now, one of the things that seems to have happened within the Western church is that we have taken this command to go and tell, and we've turned it into sort of stay and answer, you know? So, we don't go anywhere, but we're ready to, to give an answer for anyone who asks. Now, that's not altogether wrong. Of course, the Bible tells us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, but it's not all that we're told to do. What would have happened if the early disciples had done that? What would have happened if they'd said, well, you know, going sounds really, really challenging, and telling sounds super awkward, bringing up this sort of slightly awkward conversation. I'm not convinced of the reaction we'd get, so how about we just really concentrate on following Jesus, but we do it back in Jerusalem, and if people notice that we're different and they ask us questions, then we'll tell them. 
the book of Acts would be very different, wouldn't it? That's not what they did. They went and told. We, we don't want to, to lay a guilt trip on ourselves. But I think as we read this passage, we must ask ourselves the question, if we are disciples of Jesus, have we ever talked to someone who is not a Christian about the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just about the church that we go to, not about the organization that we're a part of, but about the Lord Jesus Christ, about His claims on our lives. It is part of what God has for us as disciples. It's not just for some, it's part of His plan for, for you, for me. Some of us has, have friends who are not Christians, and we talk about them, we talk to them about all sorts of details in our lives, and yet we do not talk about the one who means more to us than anyone else. Why is that? I, I ask myself that question. Why is that? Is it because I don't believe in the lostness of the lost as I should? Is it because I'm more concerned about the reputation that I have with them rather than the reputation that Jesus has with them? Is it because I don't really love them the way I ought to? And, and if, if those opportunities are not coming our way, Are we asking for them? Are we, are we praying regularly for friends and family who are not Christians? We, as we read these verses, we must ask ourselves those questions. Go and make disciples. We are called to disciple the nations. Second thing, however, in this, the church is central. It's, it's become very common in recent years to read these verses as a sort of a personal call to every Christian. In a sense, we've just done that. We've emphasized that a little bit. There are good things about that. All Christians have a role to play. But we've got to understand that this is not an individual task only. The church is central. If you think of those two other part participles here, the, the other modifiers of the make disciples command, baptizing and teaching everything I have uh, teaching everything that Jesus has taught, everything I've commanded you. Baptizing. Whose job is it to baptize? Well, it's the churches, isn't it? If you are having a, a, a walk around the park with your non-Christian friend, you've been talking to them over months or years perhaps about the gospel, and, and finally halfway around they say, do you know what? I, I, I really have been thinking about this, been reading the books that you've given me, I've been, been reading the Bible, and I, I, I want to become a Christian. In fact, I want to do that right now. Will you sit with me here at this bench around the back of the park and, and pray with me? You would, you would do that gladly, wouldn't you? You would, you would ask them a couple of questions and you would pray with them. You'd be delighted to do that. The one thing that you would not then do is say, well, let's just dander down to the lake here and we'll, we'll, we'll sort out the baptism question just now as well. You see, that's something that we understand is the function of the church. Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples in their role as those who will plant and oversee the New Testament church. Teaching is similar, isn't it, in a sense? Teaching to obey everything I've commanded you. That's incredibly important in these days whenever the temptation is to cherry pick the things that the Bible says, the teachings of Jesus even. We, we, we take some and we downplay play others. But, but we've got to know, don't we, that 
that everything that Jesus says is good and for our benefits, even the bits that rub up against our culture, Jesus has always rubbed up against culture. Different at different times and in different places, he always will because he's better than any culture. But you see, in, in teaching everything that Jesus commands, we recognize that that's not something that we do on our own either. We do that as part of our church. So with our, our, our newly converted Christian friend now, we, we get alongside them, and by all means, we, we read the Bible with them, and we, we continue to pray with them, we answer their questions. But we know that they, they need to read the Bible with some others, so they, they need to join some sort of small group. And, and supremely, they, they need to to come and be part of the church family as the Word of God is studied together as it is preached because we understand that that's a, a particular means of grace, isn't it? So the church is necessary. Jesus has the church very much in mind when he gives us this commission. Let me read you one writer's words in this. Think once more about the four commands of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Who does all this? Who sends out the going Christians to make disciples? The local church. And who names them as disciples by baptizing them and then helps them grow by teaching them? The local church does. The local church is the normal means God has given us to fulfill the Great Commission. Some years ago, in fact, if you'd read any commentaries in this verse, you, you would have understood that this, that you would have seen that the commentators understood this verse to simply give permission, as it were, to the officers of the church to discharge their duties. So, so what is it? Is it just the church? Is it individual members as they go out on their own? Well, it's, it's both and, isn't it? Because we see that in Acts. We see the church sending out missionaries who proclaim the gospel. We see churches being formed. We see the apostles staying in place and building those churches up so that they will send out missionaries. But all the time, we see members gossiping the gospel wherever they go. We see members being prepared to give a reason for the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. So Christians spreading the good news churches proclaiming the gospel, teaching, baptizing converts. It is the task of the church in which individual church members play a crucial, crucial role. The church is central in the Great Commission. And then finally, in this, Christ is with us. It's marvelous, isn't it? What a great encouragement. Jesus gives us great encouragement by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, every inch of this universe belongs to Jesus. You will not go anywhere this week where Jesus has not complete authority and does not give you authority to be on mission for him. Nowhere. The hardest place that you go this week is under his authority. And he sends us into the world on his behalf. There is nowhere we dare not go, nowhere that's off limits. And look at how he ends. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Do you remember how the gospel started? You remember there's a genealogy at the beginning to establish Jesus' ancestry, as it were. There's a, a story of the angel appearing to Mary and then to Joseph to announce his birth and Joseph is told to name this child, and he's given the names. 
You shall call his people, you shall, he, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The child would be born, and, and he would be God with us. And now as the gospel closes, this child now the risen Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What has he done as he has said those words? He has commissioned his people to mission in the light of what he has done by achieving a full and free salvation on the cross, and he promises his presence as his people fulfill that task. Where is he particularly with us as we give ourselves to the task of making disciples. Some of us struggle to know the presence of God. We think, is God really with us? Can I suggest we give ourselves to this task of mission, of discipling the nations, of throwing ourselves into the life of the church, of representing the church of Jesus Christ as we're scattered into the world Monday to Saturday. And then we will know the reality of this promise. The Lord with us to never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray.